Well, just to say, first of all, that um, I'm no expert. Whoops, as you can just see, I've just gone through. Uh, <laughs> no expert on the arts. But uh, one of the things that I've been stimulated by uh, is the fact that so many of our churches uh, seem not to really appreciate the value of the arts, particularly in trying to reach out uh, to a broken world. And so that's what we're going to be uh, talking about this afternoon, uh, bringing reality and hope uh, to a broken world. I thought I'd do a, a couple of book reviews uh, first off, because these often get left to the end, and then sometimes we run out of time. But if you want three books that would be really helpful uh, for you to think through this whole area of Christians and the arts, there's this first one, Imagine a Vision for Christians in the Arts by Steve Turner. Uh, a really good read. Uh, Steve's in the States these days, but it's a, a really good, excellent book. A guy who's quite a well-known poet himself and been very involved in the art scene for many, many years. And uh, it's really an excellent uh, read. I'll be quoting from him a bit this afternoon. And then there's this one, For the Beauty of the Church, Casting a Vision for the Arts. For the Beauty of the Church, Casting a Vision for the Arts by W. David Taylor. And uh, if you're in any form of church leadership, you'll really find this book very helpful uh, because not only does it explore what the arts are all about and has quite a section on art, is arts beauty and, and so forth, but it has some really good sections on the local church and how as local church pastors we can encourage and support those who are working in the arts. And so very, very practical guide. You won't agree with everything, at least I didn't. You won't agree with everything in the book, but you'll find it's a really stimulating read. Um, and then there's the uh, Journal of the uh, World Evangelical Alliance Missions Commission, uh, Arts in Mission. Uh, the WA produced a monthly uh, magazine, and uh, in October 2010, they did a whole magazine on Arts in Mission. And this is looking at arts right across the world and various things that are being done from different churches and Christian groups and has a lot to say from film and TV uh, to visual arts and drama and dance, all those kind of things. It really is a great companion. You can get the hold of that from the World Evangelical Alliance. So it's Connections, their magazine, Arts in Mission. Okay. Well, I'm conscious that many of you may be at this seminar for many different reasons. Uh, there may be some of you are here because you think of yourself as a creative person and uh, maybe you're here because you want to know best how to use your creativity for the kingdom of God. Or you might be here because you're one of those who has always had a keen interest in art and culture and perhaps even as a Christian you've wondered, is that legitimate? After all, sometimes people throw at you, well, you know, you shouldn't love the world and be of the world. And uh, so sometimes in your own struggles, well, is it okay for me to appreciate pictures and art and all the rest of it and be involved in that kind of artistic world? You might be here because you are already engaged either part-time or full-time uh, in the visual arts or performance arts in one way or another. And maybe you're, again, just thinking through that whole issue. How can I use the abilities that God has given me to extend his kingdom and to really reach out to those around me that are hurting and that need Christ? Or, as I said a moment ago, you might be here simply because you're in church leadership and maybe you've come with those questions in mind. Well, how can I encourage and support arts in my local church? How can I also support artists who are engaged full-time uh, in the arts uh, in terms of their everyday life? And I'm sure there are a lot of other uh, kind of legitimate reasons why some of you are here. 
But I wonder if I can this afternoon to try and narrow the focus down to think about the arts in this context of uh, trying to reach a broken world. And the first thing I'd like to do to try and illustrate that is just talk a little bit about my own journey uh, in the arts. I was brought up on a, a council estate in Bromley in Kent. These days it's called South London. It's now a London borough. And uh, I grew up in very much a, a working class environment. My first introduction to the arts was really in junior school, uh, where I landed a, a starring role in the school play, which uh, necessitated me being on the stage for two hours. And at the age of 11, that was quite something to cope with. But I really enjoyed it. And uh, I looked actually to follow on from there and find other opportunities uh, to really be involved in drama. When I moved to secondary school, I was again very involved uh, in various uh, dramatic productions. And then I even compared our school variety show. And uh, I, at my school, just the only thing, if you read my little blurb, I used to go to school with David Bowie. Uh, he, was, uh, he was actually in the year above me in the art stream. And already in those days, he was uh, really into music. He used to play saxophone much more uh, in those days. But he was a really interesting character uh, even at th that time. And of course, in Bromley, where I used to live, we, we had a, a music venue uh, that often used to engage the, the young Stones, Manfred Mann, all those kind of folks. So even in that sense, Bromley was quite an interesting place, uh, being on the edge of London and often hosted some of the kind of newer bands that were around in the 60s. And I've kind of given it away there that I was kind of in my teenage years uh, within the 60s, which were labelled afterwards as the swinging 60s. And obviously it was a time when art and culture was changing at, at a very uh, rapid pace. And uh, as a teenager, I became, I was just talking to uh, one of our friends from Holland down here. I was actually converted uh, through a Dutch guy. And uh, I became a Christian when I was 10. But it was in my teenage years that I really began to ask the question, how can I really communicate the reality of Jesus to my own generation in a way and in words that would really uh, communicate to them? The language and form would be relevant to them. And so along with uh, many other friends in those days, we began to experiment uh, with things like uh, contemporary music, uh, writing and performing songs. In fact, uh, some of the guys that I used to knock around with got so good that they actually played at Manchester Free Trade Hall and at Ronnie Scott's in Soho. So we actually broke into some of those places uh, away from the church in that sense to try and communicate uh, the message of Jesus. For myself, I started to write poetry and I started to write uh, small sketches trying to, uh, again, illustrate uh, truth. And uh, I'd perform those with other friends, sometimes inside churches, other times in pubs and clubs. Again, just trying to communicate uh, something of the love of God. I also began to not only write my own material, but I also started to glean material uh, from elsewhere. And uh, I often used to pick up not only from other Christian writers, but also from the secular field as well, if I could find something that would be really helpful. Maybe helpful at this stage, just to kind of give you an example. If I don't have a senior moment, so you know, you'll pray now to get me through this bit, but maybe just to give you an illustration of the kind of thing that we, we used to do, do together, you know, things like this, you know. Hey, first time I went to church was on a Sunday morning. At 18 years of age or so, I thought I'd spend the old time yawning. At 18 years of age or so, I thought I knew it all. My hair was long, my jeans were tight. I liked a knife or a bottle fight. 
<laughs> providing mates stood left and right and those we thought were small. My mates and me had never been to church, so off the church we filed. We walked inside about three abreast, straight down the middle aisle. Some of us were smoking fags. Others sucking sherbets. Yeah, we sat in what they called a pew. Then looked around to see who had just come inside. Oh, yeah, dear, let me tell you, they looked a load of herberts. The row behind was full of dames. Yeah, you should have seen their looks. Then one old dear gave me a smile and handed me some books. We, we opened them. We passed them round. Yeah, you should have seen the words. All set out like poetry is. Well, the words fell put us in a tears. And Fred said through his lemon fizz, these books are for the birds. Shh. We touched the place to bows. Sam stood and shouted, Here, look, do bell up. You makes more noise than us. We looked around the building. Yeah, it really was revealing. Sam said, Hey, mate, skip the score. That there ain't a carpet on the floor. See the rafters? They're so poor, they can't afford a ceiling. <laughs> can't afford electric either. Using candles everywhere. <laughs> Coloured windows like my granny's at the bottom of her stair. Shut your face, I said to Sammy. I'm for listening. So is Ron. From the left, without a noise, came a line of little boys. Sam said in his loudest voice, God, they've all got nighties on. <laughs> Blokes as well with cloaks and banners. Yeah, look at that one, must be queer. Then they dusk and damn us rockers for the way we choose our gear. Round the church we watched them marching like a circus out on hire. Holy smoke! And then he hisses, Where's the only water Mrs. Vickers' handbags caught on fire? Well, if looks could kill, we'd all have dropped, but they can't, I'm glad to say. So without a lot of bother, things got underway. Then the vicar puts his hand up. Seems he wants us all to stand up. When they got to strike the band up, Sammy said behind a cough. Oh, he's singing all one tune, mate. Nah, that's praying, says our kid. Well, I won't sure, because I remember Mum said God's a father. But I don't pray to my old man, or call him thee or thou, or think I'm raving mad. It's balmy, so it is what goes on in them their places. I'd, I'd understand a little bit if they had happy faces. <laughs> they talk of peace and happiness and how the joy bells ring. Yet most of them look bored of bits. I'll say, you load of hypocrites, why don't you honestly admit you don't believe what you're seeing? It is in what gives the preach, the old vicar, what's his name? Oh, we go to church, we, we listen, oh, but what about the chat? He talks of a sinking, sifting sand, and words like a, a wrath and a, a reprimand. Here, yeah, look, mate, I'm used to talking to me mates in words that have a meaning. But that their church, it's just the oddest place I've been in. If folks want that nonsense, well, then let them out, it's okay. But, but let me tell you what I feel. I feels we need a bloke who learn a deal of what it takes to make it real. What Jesus had to say. It seems that most religious folks don't care that we're in need. They hands us bits of paper in a language we can't read. They, they sit inside their churches with nothing in their hearts. Oh, some try to help but bring despair because there's nothing real to share. I think those folks will still be there when Armageddon starts. I remember me one once said, Son, Jesus came to help young men like you. Bad Jesus came. So is he true? Is, is Christ a myth, a, a madman's whim? 
Some say that Christ can cure our sin. If there's a way to contact him, must I die not knowing how? I only went to church to see if, if they could offer hope, but everything that happened there was oh, way beyond my scope. I beg, I want in something real. They, they smiled and let me pass. I pleaded for a little cheer. They all pretended not to hear. Ah, gets the message loud and clear. That church is middle class. Boom, boom. Okay? (laughs) Okay, that's the sort of thing that we uh, (laughs) used to try and do in those days, to try and communicate something uh, about uh, God and about Jesus. But uh, when I look back on my efforts and the efforts of my friends from those years, uh, I think I have to make an honest conclusion that we were simply trying to use the arts as another form of communication. We were trying to create art that had a clearly understood message and a clearly understood challenge. We wanted to lead people so that it would bring about change in them rather than enriching their humanity. We were really out in other words, to bring people to faith in Christ. Now for me certainly it took time for the penny to drop that just as success in preaching is not just a simple matter of effective communication but requires intervention and the personal work of the Holy Spirit. And therefore it's an error to think that just by employing more powerful arts and more powerful media that's available today, it will bring about mass conversions on a scale never seen before. Someone will say, when Christians think of arts as something that can be used to win the world to Christ, they create an unrealistic expectation of the arts and put unfair pressure on artists. That's a sentence really worth thinking about. But a statement like that raises a number of questions. Questions like, what is art? What are the arts for? Should indeed Christians be involved in the arts? Is there such a thing as Christian art? Can the arts be used to engage with a hurting world? I think if I'm honest, I'm still kind of wrestling with those kind of questions. And they're all important questions that need to be answered in some way or another. Steve Turner Uh, in his very helpful book, Imagine, A Vision for Christians in the Arts, says, Art plays an important part in shaping people's understanding of the world. And it does this because it shows rather than tells. It allows people the opportunity to experience another way of seeing the world. And then he adds in his book too that if Christians are not involved in the arts, then it denies people in the world an opportunity of encountering a Christian perspective. And of course, Christian artists, if they are engaging with the world, will often be an irritant to the world because they're countering a fallen, human-centered view of the world. Many of you will probably know the name of uh, Tim Keller. And in a very helpful article that he, read, uh, that he wrote, sorry, uh, Why We Need Artists, he says about artists that they have the ability to see the greater reality. Artists are unneeded because we can't understand truth without art. To quote Keller, he says, Reason tells me about truth, but I really can't grasp what it means. I can't understand it 
without art. In that article, he also quotes Jonathan Edwards. Mike was talking about Jonathan Edwards uh, earlier on today, the great uh, American divine and revivalist. And uh, Jonathan Edwards said this, Unless you use imagination, unless you take truth and you imagine it, which of course is art, you don't know what it means. If you can't visualize it, you don't have a sense of it on your heart. And then a paragraph from Keller, when he talks about the importance of imagination and visualization, he says this, As a result, you have a deep sense of what the speaker means. Even if you don't agree with the concept, you begin to recognize what is going on. You may not have understood what he meant until he crossed over into another mode, until he put it in the form of a sense experience and showed you what it looked and felt like. This sensual expression of the truth allows you to hear the truth, to see the truth, to taste it, touch it and smell it. The more various forms in which truth is described, the more we understand and can then communicate the truth. We can't understand truth without art. In fact, a preacher can't really express the truth he knows without couching it in some artistic form. And then he concludes the article by saying this, the church needs artists because without art we cannot reach the world. The simple fact is that the imagination gets you even when your reason is completely against the idea of God. We need Christian artists because we are never going to reach the world without great Christian art to go with great Christian talk. Now back home in uh, Cambridge, uh, just uh, 18 months, two years ago, we had uh, uh, Keith Hazel give us a prophetic word um, from, for the church. And uh, one of the, the kind of paragraphs within this prophetic word that Keith gave to us at the time was the importance of art in terms of the local church in Cambridge, that as we moved into the future, that the arts would become more and more uh, of importance as we sought to reach out uh, into the community and into the world around us. And uh, one of our guys who's here at the conference this week, a guy called Julian uh, Hildersley, uh, he actually wrote a paper uh, for us in, as a leadership on uh, the arts and the kingdom of God. And I'd like to just read you a couple of paragraphs from it because, again, it helps us to understand maybe the direction that we ought to be moving in as local churches. Uh, Julian says this, Art reaches beyond the mind, going directly to spirit and emotions, causing the recipient to engage with issues they might easily brush aside if presented with a purely rational argument. All forms of art, paint, photography, music, poetry, dance, theatre, novel, have their own attributes to communicate different aspects of the kingdom of God. Rational argument and theology have their place, but they are often more effective in moving opinion when working off issues made real by artistic presentation. Art is about making the invisible visible, making the ways and the character of the kingdom of God known. It's about connecting the ways of the kingdom of God with a fallen and hurting world. To be effective, this art has to go beyond the nice fluffy bits and assertion of an antiseptic morality. It needs to engage with the pain and suffering of broken relationships to bring about something beautiful from the Father's heart. 
We need to explore the consequences of dealing with the sins of others, the fathers who left, the abusers who robbed entire childhoods, the friends who turned against us. Jesus knew all of these, yet responded with grace flowing from the strength he received from the Holy Spirit. And here's a key sentence. When we realize we have access to that same Holy Spirit, we too will flow in grace, creating art with his help to draw in the wounded. Which of course raises a very key question. How do we do that? How can we begin to create art that helps to draw in the wounded that live all around us? Well, I'd like to uh, suggest the answer uh, this afternoon in two words. Inspiration and participation. Now, in regard to inspiration, uh, let me just tell you about uh, the Third Lusanne Congress in Cape Town in 2010. The Lusanne Congress was a gathering of 4,200 key leaders, Christian leaders, evangelical leaders, from 198 countries in the world. And the purpose of their meeting together was to bring a fresh challenge to the global church to bear witness to Jesus, so that in every nation and in every sphere of society and in the realm of ideas, the name of Jesus and the kingdom of God would be very much to the center. And at the end of the Congress, they came out with a number of different statements on different areas of reaching out into the world. But one of those was on the arts. It was under a a section called Truth and the Arts in Mission. And this is uh, what they concluded at the end of their time together, all these world leaders. It says this, We possess the gift of creativity because we bear the image of God. Art in its many forms is an integral part of what we do as humans and can reflect something of the beauty and the truth of God. Artists at their best are truth-tellers, And so the arts constitute one important way in which we can speak the truth of the gospel. Drama, dance, story, music and visual image can be expressions both of the reality of our brokenness and the hope that is centred in the gospel, that all things will be made new. In the world of mission, the arts are an untapped resource and we actively encourage greater Christian involvement in the arts. We long to see the church in all cultures energetically engaging the arts as a context for mission. And then they made four separate statements. They said, firstly, by bringing the arts back into the life of the faith community as a valid and valuable component of our call to discipleship. Secondly, by supporting those with artistic gifts especially sisters and brothers in Christ, so that they may flourish in their work. Thirdly, by letting the arts serve as an hospitable environment in which we can acknowledge and come to know the neighbour and the stranger. And lastly, by respecting cultural differences and celebrating indigenous artistic expression. Now, I don't know about you, but I found that statement really inspiring and really encouraging for three reasons. Firstly, because it reminds us that our creativity 
springs from the fact that we bear the image of our Creator God. Secondly, I found it inspiring because it was a challenge to the global church to be encouraged and to have greater involvement in the arts. And I love the fact that in the day in which we live in, that the global church is being encouraged on a wide scale to really think about the arts and to use them for the glory of God. But the third thing that really inspired me was that these four practical uh, responses or areas of engagement are all doable in the local church. And that thrills me, that actually we can respond to such a statement because all those four statements are doable within the local church. And in a moment when we come back to participation, I'll open that up a little bit more. I think also the reason we need to be inspired to talk about God in a godless age is because the words and symbols that were traditionally used to discuss the basics of Christian theology have lost their currency. We're confronted today by a context where the movie director or the actor or the rock star are far more readily listened to than the preacher or the theologian. People today know more pop songs than hymns, more movie plots than Bible stories. There's often more fanfare surrounding the opening of a new city art gallery than a dedication of a new church or a cathedral. And in intellectual circles, certainly critical appreciation of Shakespeare is considered much more essential to a cultured mind than an understanding of Pauline theology. So we need some inspiration. So where are we going to go for that? Well, I'd like to suggest there's a good place here. It's called the Bible. The Bible is a great starting point to receive inspiration for art. Now, I'm not talking here about religious art, okay, something like Da Vinci's you know, Last Supper or whatever it might be. I'm not just talking about art that is very clearly seen to be on a religious theme. Steve Turner in his book Imagine reminds us that in the Bible, we find that the Bible schools us in typology and metaphor. Think for a moment even of Jesus in the Gospels and how many pictures he painted in his 40 parables, everyday things of life that he used, images that people would be familiar with. And there's plenty to inspire in the books of poetry and wisdom and prophecy. Think for a moment about the Psalms. When we turn to the Psalms, as you probably know, we're, we're confronted by failure, by despair, by triumph, and by joy. The Psalms are remarkably honest, and they can span from one end uh, with feelings of gloom to the other end of uh, feelings of triumph and, and glory. The Psalms so often give voice to grievance and to objection. In fact, the Psalms speak about rejection and unanswered prayer, about remorse and sickness and pain and oppression and persecution. Have you noticed how many times the Psalms ask those frequently given questions of why and how and when? As one writer has put it, the Psalms encourage the Christian to be as honest about the questions as the answers as revealing about times when God seems absent, as the times when his presence is overwhelming. You see, often sermons relay a sense of authority and clarity 
and personal challenge, and so they should. But art often deals with doubt and ambiguity and self-criticism. Art is often a conversation with God and the cosmos and other people. It's about observation and questions and complaints and admiration and challenge and encouragement. And the great thing about the Psalms is that they give us great examples of those very things. Artistic expression is often a search for meaning and purpose and identity. But as Christians, we have answers to all those questions. I believe we mustn't limit our expression in art to the peaks of our personal spiritual experience, but rather we must give room to also describe the valley of the shadow of death, and if I put it this way, the valley of indecision. Otherwise, there is no overlap of experience with the non-believer. And surely that's where we're seeking to reach. But if we're not honest about our doubts and our fears and our struggles, we're never going to have a bridge over which we can speak to those around us. What about the book of Ecclesiastes? In the 11 chapters of Ecclesiastes, at least the first 11, he followed the writer on his doomed search to make existence tolerable. It describes a world where a person of little or no faith would recognize. Have you ever realized that? How many of you have preached on the book of Ecclesiastes? Good, at least one of you. That's wonderful. But you know, the outsider, the person who has no faith at this moment of time, would find a lot in the book of Ecclesiastes. Does God exist? If he does, he doesn't seem to have any current interest in his creation. He's remote, he's uninvolved. There's no ultimate meaning. Remember that the writer tries to create enough purpose to make life worth living. Seeks to prove his understanding by gaining wisdom and knowledge. Seeks to blot out his depression by madness and folly and laughter and wine. And to build alternative worlds of power and property and sex and wealth. And yet it all ends up in vanity. There are so many people around us in our day and generation who are doing exactly that. They're looking to power and money and sex, but actually ending up empty. There's nothing there for them. We can receive real inspiration. In chapter 12, there's, a, of course, a note of hope about the importance of fearing God and keeping his commandments. What has this to do with art? Well, sometimes an audience needs to be confronted with the bankruptcy of its own beliefs before it's willing to even consider an alternative. And art can provide a timely shock that results in a reassessment. What about the book of Proverbs? Well, Proverbs, we know God is at the back of uh, every saying in the book of uh, Proverbs, but it shows the value of common sense. And indeed, the book of Proverbs is intended to benefit anyone who is willing to listen speaks about how to build a good marriage, how to give generously, how to avoid bad company, how to be industrious, how to hold your tongue, how to be honest in business dealings. And the sayings of Proverbs are, are so often just like advertising slogans that kind of hook into the consciousness and have a, 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 a habit of kind of remaining there for a, a lifetime. Our society needs to be reminded of some of the basic wisdom of God. But the Proverbs are also another reminder to us that human life, 
The ordinary stuff of life is the artist's resource. And that as artists and as Christians, we share these areas of daily living with the atheist and the agnostic and the worshipper of false gods. There is plenty of material there. What about the Song of Songs? That graphic love poem. What inspiration can we have from that? Well, there's an interesting quote here from Bono of you too. He said, why should we allow the pornographers a monopoly on sexuality? Good question. Why should we? If we never refer to sexual feelings, we give the impression so very often that salvation somehow desexes us or that we identify sexual longing only with original sin. But sex and sexuality, of course, are amongst the most discussed issues in the arts today. While we should not use art to invoke lust or betray confidences or to unburden past histories or exercise current sexual fantasies, we should use it to counter the lie that infidelity and fornication are exciting, whereas commitment and marriage are boring. We should use it to demonstrate that sex in its right context is the most enjoyable and enriching gift that God has given to mankind. And we can use art to do that. What about Job? Understanding here, you know, the Bible is a good source book, isn't it? <laughs> what about Job? You know, the book of Job is like a play of six acts for six voices. And we realize if you've read the book of Job that it poses questions that are still the most frequently asked in our society. Why does God allow suffering? When things go wrong, is it a direct result of my behavior? Why doesn't God answer my cries and my prayers? You see, a lot of art comes out of pain. So a lot of art deals with the problem of suffering. And whereas maybe songwriters and poets may get inspired by the Psalms and by the Song of Songs, then dramatists and scriptwriters and novelists could find inspiration from the book of Job and the drama that unfolds there. What about prophecy? Prophecy is not simply about anticipating the future, but prophecy in the Bible often challenges society's morals. The genuine prophets of the Old Testament passed on the words of God to the people. They expressed his feelings about particular behavior. They predicted the results of both obedience and disobedience. They foretold events both near and in distant future. And you realize that they were, in general, not popular figures. Did you notice that? You see, many artists in our own generation are not bound to convention in their thinking. They often tend to adopt lifestyles of tomorrow. The word avant-garde, which really just means in the vanguard, those who go ahead to check out the territory that's coming. They get excited about things long before the general public. And of course, more than that, many artists today prick the pretensions of those in power. They call attention to injustice. And they attack assumptions about behavior. And many artists today are not above performing what I would call bizarre acts that are designed to provoke and shock and to puzzle and to prompt questions. And of course, you do understand that the Old Testament had its share of bizarre prophets. So remember that? E e Ezekiel laying on his side for one year. 
Jeremiah hiding his underwear in a crevice and then it rotted, taking it out and showing it to the people. Ahijah that tore his cloak in 12 pieces. Hosea who married an adulteress to demonstrate the unfaithfulness of God's people. Artists are very often tend to live on the margins of society. And they do that often because they're able to keep a sharper perspective. Now that actually raises a great challenge for Christian artists. Because as Christians we are called to relationship and to live in community. And that's, that's something therefore that Christian artists have to wrestle with. Archie Collingwood on his uh, Essays in Philosophy of Art says the artist must prophesy not in the sense that he foretells things to come but in the sense that he tells his audience at risk of their displeasure the secrets of their own hearts. It's one of the purposes of art that we can use. Okay, let's turn from inspiration to participation. And firstly, let me talk about art in the local church. Let me make two opening comments. Firstly, that art is a part of our enjoyment of God. It's not something separate from life, but something at the heart of life. And it celebrates the fact that we are children of a Creator Father. Secondly, I think we need to be intentional about encouraging the arts. We need to create an environment where both novices are nurtured and at the same time we celebrate highly trained excellence. Got that? That's not easy to do. But we need an atmosphere where we can nurture novices but we can also celebrate highly trained excellence. Let's think about worship times. We can experiment with different styles of music. Most of us these days live in a multicultural society. And it's great in church life when that is reflected in the worship style. I love visiting some of the churches, particularly some of the churches in London, and uh, where you suddenly see a gang of ladies from Zambia get up and start to walk around the congregation. And they've got that lovely African thing where one of the ladies sings out and then all the other ladies answer it. It's lovely to be part of a family where all different kinds of music are actually celebrated together. Not easy to do, but something we can do. Do we encourage our songwriters to write material that reflects our current phrase of church life? It's wonderful these days that you can pick songs off the internet, off the, uh, off the counter. But what about those in our midst who have that creative ability that could bring songs that actually, actually reflect where we are as a church at this moment of time? We need to encourage them in that. You can employ uh, solo group performances that contribute meaningfully to the day's theme. And if you say, well, we don't have that kind of talent in our church, well, why don't you go on to the YouTube? <laughs> There's loads of stuff on YouTube that will give you examples of people that could just sing a song that really communicates uh, to people. Remember when we had uh, one of our couples been serving overseas and sadly their daughter, after a two-year-long battle with cancer, a very rare form of cancer, died. And uh, I found a song on YouTube that just so epitomized her life and what she meant. And uh, we were able to play that in church together. Sometimes a song, a reflective song, can actually draw people uh, closer to God and understanding uh, who he is and his ways. The use of uh, drama, uh, again, and, and mime is, is very good. 
It helps people to connect emotionally to a subject. Don't know how many of you have uh, ever looked at some of the Willow Creek drama stuff. That Willow Creek in Chicago uh, really have a blessing. They have a full-time arts team, uh, so they write stuff all the time. I can remember one, uh, one of their dramas that I was watching, and it was a, a very simple little sketch, really. It was a, a guy who was a teacher, and uh, he was walking into a classroom with his friend, and uh, he had just come uh, new and was just about to start a, a new term. And he had actually grown up in this school where he was now going to teach. And as he came into it with his friend, he, he put his hand out to uh, hold on to a radiator. As he, as he pulled it, he found that the radiator came away from the wall. And suddenly you could see in his face a, a flashback. And he begins to tell his friend about when he was at school that one day they had one boy in the school who was a little bit of an odd bull. And so they decided one day, when it was break time, that as they came in from break time, they would take this boy and they would actually tie him to the radiator and then they would pull his trousers down so that when all the class came in, they would see him totally exposed. And that's what they did. And as the drama unfolds, it's only a short sketch, but you suddenly find that this boy that uh, had this happen to him then grew up to be a loner and eventually he committed suicide. And within this sketch, you start to find that on the one minute you've got, you're finding that your emotions are really torn to this poor young guy who grew up and committed suicide. And yet on the other side, you're taken to the whole sense of the abuser and what he's carried in his guilt all that time. And straight after that, uh, Bill Hybels preached on the whole area of forgiveness. But by then, you were fully pulled in. And in the congregation where I was when that sketch was shown, I tell you, all the men were in total tears because it had connected emotionally to them and they were now ready to hear God's answer and God's way. Drama can be very powerful and we need to use it carefully, but it can be a real blessing. In a similar vein, dance or mime. Uh, I open people up to fresh perspectives. We were doing at home a, a series on the book of Daniel, particularly the early chapters. And we happened to have a, a mime artist uh, within, our, uh, within our church. And she got all our youngsters together and she taught them a mime to Daniel. And it was a song and uh, the kids all performed this great introduction to the series on Daniel. Loads of stuff that you can do if you're creative in that way. What about preaching? Well, use visual media to enhance uh, your message. PowerPoint, uh, Prezi, those kind of things. Uh, you can use visual impact by endorsing or clarifying a point. Can I tell you, it's particularly helpful to those where English is not their first language. I probably take these days more time over my PowerPoint than I do over my preparation for preaching. No, not quite. But... But the reason I do that is because so many of those who, for them, English is a second language, say, Mike, I love listening to you because I can follow what you're saying. We don't do it for ourselves. We do it for those that are listening. And today, when we're finding more people from different ethnic backgrounds coming into our churches, we've had so many Muslim folk that have just walked into our church just to find out what a Christian church is all about. We need to help them. We need to communicate in a way that really helps them. You can, again, uh, use a, a, a YouTube clip to illustrate a point or raise a question. Uh, I was doing a, a series on uh, Philippi, uh, Philemon the other day, and my title was, We're In It Together. We're In It Together. And I found a three-minute 
cartoon clip that had been put together by a church in the States which was entitled, Can I Be a Christian Without Going to Church? And I could have spent ages talking about that, but here was a three-minute clip that just said everything I wanted to say about that before moving on. Now look for these things because it helps people. The visual and the word together can really be very helpful. Props or acting out to illuminate a point that you're trying to make it is really good. I've traveled quite a lot with uh, Dave Devonish in Russia and the Ukraine for many, many years. And one of the things that we do when we're talking about doctrine and we're trying to help people to understand that you were in Adam, but now you're in Christ. And one of the things we often do is we get people out of the congregation and we say, look, stand there, you're Adam. You stand there, you're Christ. Right, now you, you're a Christian. And we take them out, we, we stop them in front of Adam, saying, that's where you were, okay? But now God has taken you and placed you in Christ. And we act out this kind of doctrine. And you know, it can be really, uh, I was going to say funny, but it can be really powerful. Can you remember one day when we did this in Russia, in a church in Armavir, that we came in the next day and people had so got the point that everybody was sitting on the in Christ side <laughs> and there's nobody on the Adam side. It's amazing when you act things out of how people, it sticks in their mind. It helps them to grasp even serious doctrine. You can help by just acting out and showing people uh, what's there. Maybe sometimes a mixed media uh, approach. I was preaching on the incarnation just before Christmas one time and I, I wanted to use a poem called The Long Silence. It's a very graphic poem that speaks about the suffering of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I asked one of our girls, Anna Goodman, who's uh, not only a great brain involved with sort of brain uh, uh, research and so forth, but she's also a great photographer. And I said, Anna, could you do me some black and white photographs that will really go with this poem, that as I say it, we can flick these up so that uh, people can see that. And she produced a set of black and white images, which uh, I won't show them all, but these were some of the images that she put together uh, for me to try and illustrate the different points that uh, I was making in this poem. It's not your usual black and white photograph, is it? And uh, this is uh, all about, uh, a girl said, it's all about the suffering of Christ. You know, why couldn't Christ be born illegitimate? Why couldn't Christ you know, uh, be born in a time when he was hated? And of course all those things actually were true. But... Uh, that was one. Here's one last couple of slides. One there, of course, on the un- in the birth of Christ and then on his suffering. And this is a graphic one of the cross. The result, of course, was it stirred people's emotions and it had a greater impact on people's hearts. Uh, earlier this year at Easter, uh, we had a family service where uh, one of our guys, Daniel, he retold the Palm Sunday to Easter story through a series of illustrations that have been done by one of uh, the ladies in the church who is an illustrator, and she's done some illustrations for use actually in schools. And uh, we just used her whole illustrations just to tell the story. It was a family service with the children in, and they were able to follow these illustrations of the Easter story. What about storytelling? Although we're a literate society, uh, there are still many in our churches who are oral learners. Now, oral learners learn best through stories. They like to keep things intact in a kind of holistic way and use intuitive reasoning. They store truth in remembered stories and proverbs. While for those of us who are what we might call print learners, 
We tend to use lists of points and principles and steps. We like to break things apart, some kind of analytical approach. And we use formal logical reasoning. And we store truth in written abstract principles. And it may not be that we can call them to memory quickly, but we know where to go to the filing cabinet or onto the internet to pull them out. We know where that list is kept and we can retrieve it. In the increase in modern technology and the ease of delivery, TV, film and story is now globally mainstream. And we need to understand that. And there are many of your people that actually will learn more by a story that's told than they will by principle line on line on line. We need to think about that in terms of the makeup of our congregations. What about buildings? Just as our homes say something about us, so our buildings should also. And art includes architecture and interior design. Often when we come to buildings, our first thought is, are they functional? Will they facilitate our meetings and our activities? But we need to ask, do they reflect the creative God we serve? Do they reflect the relationships of the family of God that meet in this place? Are they welcoming to the guest or visitor or the uh, person from outside. In Cambridge, in recent times, we've given more attention to our decor and surroundings. And uh, we've actually introduced uh, what we call an art wall, where we display the work of our in-house artists on a monthly basis. So they have it for a month. And people can come and see uh, what, what is there. And uh, they generally exhibit, as I say, a, a month at a time. We've also had our outside exhibitions, uh, we found that there was a, um, an exhibition of banners on the, uh, on the area of prayer that was doing its rounds in the UK. And so we asked if we could host it for a month. And we had these wonderful creative banners on different aspects of prayer and how to pray. Wonderful opportunity uh, there. What about nurture? Well, it's important we find ways to nurture the creativity in the local body on two levels. The whole body... So that uh, creativity is there for everyone, but also for those where creativity is the major component of their everyday lives, who are involved in the mainstream media and arts, which would include people like designers, engineers, architects, gardeners, scientists. Uh, we have one guy who's a, a, a fashion uh, designer, uh, does uh, lots of stuff, women's clothes for uh, some of the big names in the country. It's amazing the kind of people that you find are actually in your congregation. But they need to be nurtures. As a whole body, we need to recognize that a large part of life is relating to art. People relate to and enjoy a diversity of arts. Music, painting, literature, cinema, dance, theater. Now people know what they like. But can I just remind you that artistic taste is not an achievement. You remember that? Artistic taste is it's not an achievement. We, we all have different tastes and that can sometimes be hard for us when we're living together as a community because we all have different tastes, even in the style of mercy, uh, worship music uh, that we like together. But we need to wrestle with that. I'm not going to please all the people all the time. In uh, Cambridge, we've launched uh, a Creative Life at Citigroup. has a Facebook called Creative Life Hub that uh, you can actually get on and see. And uh, it's vision. It's really to bless and connect creative people within the church so that they can share opportunities for inspiration and development with each other and that they can also be engaged and, and relevant to the locality. A number of our artists now 
exhibiting what's called the Cambridge Open Studios, which is a, a two weekends in our city uh, where artists across the city open up their homes, display their paintings in their home, and uh, the general public can come uh, into their homes. They can buy the paintings if they want to or just come and see them. So you get a double whammy. You can sell your paintings, but you get all this contact with outside folk from all over the city, and you can witness to them. It's a great opportunity to be involved, and so we want to encourage our people to be in the local um, community. And obviously, the vision is to bring honour to our Creator. We have various subgroups as well, those who are involved in craft, creative writing, performing arts, visual arts. We create space too for all of them to come together, maybe on a theme to work on that uh, together, all types of, of artists. We put on workshops and we also have a, a database that lists creative people, gives descriptions of what folk do, what their interests are, so that people can connect with each other. Uh, articles on information, articles on art that challenge. And also we keep a, a database of creative things that are happening within Cambridge, uh, so that if there's a workshop or if there's an event on, uh, people can actually see that and they can uh, go along to those things and promote them. Second level, and we're coming very quickly to the end of our time, I haven't got time to go into how we actually look after those for whom actually their, their work is totally involved in the creative sphere. But these people need to feel valued. We need to affirm what they are doing is important. They need to be encouraged because they often feel lonely and underappreciated and misunderstood. They need to be inspired because they often battle with self-doubt and fear. And they need to be emboldened to act a certain light in the world where God has placed them. And therefore, as church leaders, we need to intentionally draw near to them, to share in their work and to share in their world. Now, we need to realize we don't need to be expert in each artist's medium, but we do need to give them encouragement and support. How we pastor them, promote them, help them, we'll have to wait for another time. In this last section, quickly, let me talk about things outside much more. Entertainment. Entertainment's not wrong. It's an activity or performance that amuses, interests, or gives pleasure. Music, plays, films, sporting events don't usually require a reasonable critical evaluation, but rather they can be very therapeutic and help people to relax and feel better about things. We can and we should enjoy those things. So for ourselves at uh, Cambridge, we put on things like dance evenings, Cayley, uh, Bollywood, Salsa, where we have a teacher in who teaches the whole congregation uh, how to do those things. And uh, they're really great times together. It's good for the church. It's good to bring in neighbours and friends. And it's good for uh, outside dance teachers uh, as well. We had one guy that actually uh, came to us. He was a dance teacher. He came to church on the Sunday because he said, I've never found a group of people that I've taught who are so enthusiastic and is so entered in to Bollywood. He was just absolutely blown away by people's involvement in it. We've done things like music concerts. This is a band we had, uh, Aradna. Uh, they're, they're Western guys, but they've learned how to play in an Eastern style. We put on an evening uh, where we brought together, and this is quite something, the Indian and the Pakistani community together for a concert. And we also raised money uh, for uh, relief in their, their countries. Uh, this is something we did uh, a poetry evening with uh, Lex Loides. Uh, it was probably one of our biggest outreaches we've ever done uh, for people in the community. And uh, they read a selection of poems. 
one of our own girls, Jude Brown, who's here with a microphone, John Carson, a very well-known actor. They will read uh, different selections of poems that were about searching for meaning and purpose. And uh, Lex Loides from South Africa would just uh, kind of say little bits in between. And then they ended with a prologue from John's Gospel, the last thing they read. Then we had a break, some cheese and wine, and then the whole audience were able to ask questions. It was a great time and uh, drew in many of those who would never darken the door, as it were, of a church because it was poetry, something that they're really interested in. And then there's, I want to say that Jude, actually, I forgot about Jude, I passed past the by now, but with the mic, Jude, Jude is one of our resident uh, comedians, and uh, she's great, uh, people are able, she's a great observer like many comedians are of life, and uh, evenings with her are really great, has people laughing in the aisle, but then, you know, hits them with a great punch. It's great to use comedy, and that's, that's part of the arts as well. Therapy. Music can touch people's soul, unlike damaged emotions, help people cope with stress. Dance can open up, close people to new freedom of expression. Painting can unlock past drama. When I used to work in a drug rehab center for women, uh, often we got the girls uh, painting. I can remember one day I was seeking to deliver a girl from demons. They were speaking at me and they wouldn't come out of this girl. And I felt the Lord say to me, leave her there and go to her bedroom. And when I went to her bedroom, on the wall were various paintings that she'd done in terms of therapy, trying to unlock all the pain and the suffering that was inside of her. And as I looked at this black and white drawing of a little girl of four years of age, God said to me, that's when she was first abused. I came downstairs I shared that with her and I commanded once again for the demons to go and they went. It unlocked the whole situation. And painting can often unlock people's trauma and suffering and therapy is really good in that way. I was in uh, Izmat, Turkey in 1999, shortly after the earthquake uh, there when uh, 17,000 people were killed and half a million were made homeless. Families and children were living on the streets under plastic sheeting full of fear. And while I was there, a team from Azerbaijan came and they did a puppet show for the children. And they started with the puppet show and then the puppets turned into real people, dressed exactly the same way as the puppets were. And they told the story of how Jesus got hold of fear and captured it. Brilliant, absolutely wonderful to see the transformation on these children who were still living with anxiety, whether the whole earth was going to erupt again and their houses would come down, and understanding that Jesus is able to relieve them and take away their fears. Wonderful. You can use it as therapy. As someone has said, children blighted by war and famine and abuse can be reawakened by music and dance and poetry and painting and drama. What about community outreach? Whoops, should go back. Arts and crafts clubs for children and adults. Music lessons. Colin Barron, who's up in Manchester, one of the things he's done recently is that he, uh, he went to the Manchester School of Music and he asked whether some of the students would come and would teach some of the kids in the areas where he lived, the really poor area of Manchester. And uh, he's lined them up. They come on a quite weekly basis to teach the children. And the amazing thing is this, that many of these children come from families where the families have never achieved anything in their lives. And so every now and again they have a concert. And to this concert all the mums and dads come and there's little Johnny with his violin. And it's a bit squeaky, but he's playing it. And there's the guy, little guy with his trumpet and he's just about getting the notes. But you want to see the faces on the mums and dads. 
You want to see them for the first time seeing their little Johnny actually receiving something, an affirmation, and seeing him do something, and seeing him achieve something. And he's totally transforming that area just by their kids coming along and having music lessons. We recently did a, a community outreach and one of our guys who's a drummer, he did a drumming school for all the kids in the community. While we cleared up the rubbish, got the gardens cleared, did a barbecue for everybody, he had got all the kid teenagers together and they had a drumming session. So many things that we can do in community. I have friends who've got a community arts theatre in Lancaster where they bring together all the community, mums and dads, they make the scenery, they make the costumes, they take part in, in the actual drama production and it involves the whole community. It's a wonderful thing that you can do in that way. What about influence? Those who are, if you know the TV soaps and things, they're often full of social comment and stories, TV soaps and so forth. And in our midst we have singers and songwriters who can address our culture and point to a better way. We've got script writers who can write TV and film that expose evil and sow seeds of hope. I'm going to have to stop. <laughs> this is coming from our church, Daniel and Melanie uh, Cassette. He's a full-time professional dancer. Uh, Melanie is uh, an architect by day, a partner in an architect's firm, and a mime artist at night. And uh, they both do workshops all over the world in dance and drama. And currently at the moment, uh, they're putting together uh, a new piece that is against trafficking. And they're going to take that round the UK and other places, just trying to demonstrate again the horrors of trafficking. You know that uh, in the trafficking world uh, these days, we find that there's something like uh, um, 2 million people trafficked annually. And 50% of those are children. And we need a voice that's speaking against that and encouraging folk to get up and act and do things. And drama is a great way of uh, being able to do that. If you want to see some of their work, Infusion Physical Theatre is uh, where they come. Steve Turner says, The problem comes when artists who could be contributing to the discussion taking place in the mainstream arts are hidden away in the church. And artists who should be sticking to the church are deluded into thinking that they're going to transform contemporary culture. Have you got time for just five minutes? Okay. Let me, I just want to, just, I just want to talk about evangelism and church planting. Oh, I want to just give you two just illustrations just to finish with about when we give ourselves to God, it's amazing where he can take us. This is a friend of mine, Ian Collins, Ian and Helen, and uh, uh, he is an ethnomusicologist. You all know what that is, don't you? Uh, it's someone who goes to an ethnic group, studies their music, studies how it's put together, the instruments they play, how uh, songs are written, how music is written, and so forth, in another culture. And Ian is using that in order to bring the message of Christ to people, uh, they worked in Tibet for a, a long time. Ian learnt all the Tibetan folk instruments. And uh, he is so proficient now, when he goes to the country, they ask him to play with the leading Tibetan folk musicians in the country. Isn't that amazing? He's written songs in Tibetan that are now sung, songs about Jesus that are now sung in the Tibetan schools. He's written songs that actually are available uh, for worship in uh, small groups of believers uh, within that country. 
And Ian is training up other ethnomusicologists now to join church planting teams so that when they go and church plant in another culture, uh, an ethnomusicologist goes with them so that right from day one they can begin to communicate in the heart music and the heart and style of the people in that particular country in order that they might learn about Jesus, in order that his healing power may come and he might heal the broken. Isn't that great? Yeah. It's just an illustration. I'm sure Ian didn't think of that in the beginning when he studied music at Royal College. But that's how God can use us in this arts field. And it's having an impact increasingly across the world. And then lastly, and here I must finish, is a dear friend of mine, Terry Ascot. Terry was a friend from my teenage years. He uh, first started working in the whole area of magazine production in the Middle East. His magazine, Magula, was one of the first newspapers that ever got on Egyptian newsstands. And it's still selling today. Amazing, a magazine, but has such Christian values within it. And then he suddenly found that he got into sort of video and eventually ended up as uh, putting together with some other friends the first Christian satellite TV station for the Middle East and North Africa. Amazing. They literally have hundreds of millions of people that listen now. They broadcast in over uh, 22 nations of the Middle East and uh, North Africa. Uh, they uh, have 50 countries in Europe that they broadcast to. Uh, they have 144 full-time staff, script writers, program makers, producers, musicians, artists, sound and lighting, all those kind of things. Last year, their responses on to their adult programs, that's people writing in, looking on their website, was 5,789,601. That's just the adults. The children were 358,489. How many people have you reached for Jesus lately? Okay. That is amazing. And of course it costs a lot. Their budget is over 13, 14 million pounds a year. And yet here they are using their programs of education, testimony, talking about hot topics like uh, honor killings, all that kind of stuff, programs for children. So many of the children have come to Christ through watching these programs. And that's all to do with the arts. Isn't that amazing? What could God do with you? What could God do with your church and my church? If only we found the place that God wants for it. We're not going to stop preaching. We're not going to stop all the other things that are so vital. But the arts so often is an untapped resource that we need to use for the glory of God. Sorry, I've gone on quite a bit there. Excuse me. Can I just pray? And then uh, you'll be free to go. Very happy to chat with you if you need to stay. But if you need to go, you need to go. Father, we thank you that you are so much a show and tell God. We thank you, Father, that you gave your son, Jesus, that we might know who you are. We thank you that he was the express image of you, Father. Father, we thank you for all that we see of Jesus, all that we know about you because of him. Father, we thank you, you're a great creator. And we ask again, Father, that you'll just release that creative gift in us, that, Lord, we may reach out to this hurting and broken world around us and that we might not only show love but bring love to people and help them to see the great Father that you are and the great Saviour that you've given for us. We ask it in his name. Amen. Amen. Amen.